0: All of creation does indeed celebrate. You sent your son Jesus into this world to die for us. You you provided a way, a path for all of creation one day to be made new, where our lives could be changed, we can be transformed, we can become more like Jesus. Because of your amazing love, all of creation one day will celebrate. In the meantime, it groans, as Paul wrote. But we look forward to that day when Your Son returns, and we get to be with Him forever. Lord, we ask You to speak to us as we look at Your Word this morning. We also ask You, Lord, as we just look at the world in which we're living and the situation over there with Russia and Ukraine. Father, we just just ask You for peace. We pray, Lord, that You would work for peace there, allowing Your Gospel to prosper. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Apart from uh, placing my trust in Jesus Christ to be my Savior when I was perhaps five years old, I think the most important and best decision I ever made in my life was when I asked my wife, Karen, to marry me. We have now been married for 34, almost 34 years, imperfect but wonderful years. God is the one who designed, of course, marriage, and it's a, a good thing. Our culture more and more is kind of looking down on it. Solomon wrote, though, in Proverbs 18, verse 22, he said, A man who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. God designed marriage so that we could go through our lives with someone else, to have an intimate and close relationship with someone else. He created it to be a blessing and a wonderful thing. Now, today... As was mentioned earlier, we're beginning a new series called Significant Others, and we're going to be talking about things like marriage and children and even caring for your elderly parents and a number of other subjects. Today we focus on marriage, but I want to mention a few things up front before I even dive into it. First of all, I recognize that many of you are not married or you may not be interested in marriage and, um, or maybe you have bad memories related to marriage or whatever it is. And, uh, and so you're, you're kind of thinking, oh no, he's going to talk about marriage and I've got to sit here for a half hour listening to that. Um, the heart of what I'm going to talk about here today really applies to all of us because we're going to be talking about getting along with other people and a secret for getting along with other people. Second thing I want to mention is that we're going to be looking at a section of Scripture that is um, one of the most offensive sections in the whole Bible. And when I am doing a talk related to a subject like this or like the section we're going to be looking at, I have to admit that I have a tendency to want to just pull back a little bit and, you know, I don't want people to get angry and offended and this and that. And I have to evaluate, do I believe that the Bible is the Word of God? Do I really believe that? And it applies to my life and do I have the courage to say what needs to be said to really help? And so we're going to be talking about this relationship, the clearest Um, illustration in all the Bible, or the clearest section in the Bible, I think, that talks about how husbands and wives are to relate to one another, is in Ephesians chapter 5, and there the Apostle Paul gives an illustration or a picture of what marriage should look like. And he he likens it to to Jesus and the church and, and the relationship that the two of them are to have with one another. And so my takeaway today is this, that we need to model our marriage after Christ and the church, We should model our marriage after that, where the husband takes on the role of Christ in the home, laying down his life for his wife, sacrificing himself, putting her needs above his own. See, that's what Jesus did. And that the wife takes on the role of the church, being respectful of the position that the husband has in the home. And this is where things kind of get a little bit messy from some people's perspective. I think one of the main reasons people don't like what I'm going to talk about here today is that there's a word that's used repeatedly in the verses we're going to be reading, and it's, it's an ugly word. At least in our culture, it's the word submit. It's like submit, you know, it's just ridiculous, this idea that anyone should ever want to submit to one another, and yet... And yet in all relationships, submission is something, it's a reality. It's something that we have to contend with. And so even before Paul gets into husbands and wives, he says in Matthew 5, 21, submit to one another in the fear of Christ. If you have a reverence for Christ, he says submit to other people. Now in our culture, again, I think this is ridiculous. I mean, if you just viewed it from our culture Because we live in a culture that says, you fight for your rights, you stand up for yourself, you don't let anyone push you around. And then you come across a verse like this, submit to one another out of the fear of Christ. Shouldn't we fight for our rights? Isn't confrontation sometimes necessary? And the answer, of course, is yes, sometimes it is. We'll talk about that. But what I want us to understand right up front here is that this concept of submission is a It's actually a good quality, not a bad one. And that's where we've got to get past what our culture keeps saying. Jesus modeled this. He submitted to his Father in everything. Jesus submitted to his heavenly Father. He said, not my will but yours be done. And he becomes a model for us. And then we find that it's something that's supposed to characterize our lives in lots of different ways. First of all, within the church, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's why I'm saying this applies to all of us. There needs to be ability for us to yield to one another and get along with one another and, and recognize sometimes the other person and let them have their way sometimes. And when it comes to government, there are a number of verses about submitting to the governmental authorities. And again, in our culture today, this is something that's really kind of difficult. Paul wrote in Romans 13:1 and 2, He said, everyone must submit to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except from God. And those that exist are are instituted by God. So then, the one who resists the authority is opposing God's command, and those who oppose it will bring judgment on themselves. You see, Christians are not supposed to be known for being rebellious. We're not supposed to be known for being troublemakers, ones who can't get along, ones who can't follow. Peter said the same thing, of course, in 1 Peter 2, 13 through 15. Submit to every human authority because of the Lord. In other words, for his sake. Submit to every human authority, whether it be the emperor as the supreme authority, or to governors as those sent out by him to punish those who do what's evil and to praise those who do what is good. For it is God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing Good And the doing good in this verse is respecting authority, submitting to those who are in authority. And that doesn't mean, of course, that there aren't occasions where we don't. You know, there are occasions like Peter in the New Testament where the religious authorities of his day came to Peter and said, We do not want you talking about Jesus anymore. And Peter's response to them was, you judge for yourself whether or not I'm to listen to you or what God says. But I'm not going to keep silent about this. I'm going to do this because this is what God wants me to do. And so sometimes, you know, there's a a conflict between earthly authorities and divine authorities. And in that situation, of course, we do what God wants us to do. But what we have to understand about this whole subject of authority and submission and all that is that our God is a God of order. And he's designed things to operate in a certain orderly way, and it requires us then to view other people maybe a little differently than we normally would. Now, before I get into specific ways in which I think husbands and wives flesh out submission, and by the way, I think I believe in mutual submission, but different submission. In other words, there's there's a sense in which we're to submit to one another in the marriage, husbands, wives, wives. Submit to all people, submit to governmental authorities, of course, but the way in which it's fleshed out will be a little different, as we'll see. But let me mention what submission is not before talking about what it is. First of all, submission is not about superior or inferior. It has nothing to do whether somebody is inferior or someone is superior in a submissive. It's just a role. And I think, frankly, some of our governmental authorities have this one wrong because they they do think it's about, I'm better than you are. And so you go and do these things, but I don't have to do them. That's the perspective many people have today that are in positions of authority. Jesus, of course, said, don't be like that. You know, authority with one another and within the church operates differently. But we really love and care for one another. Submission second doesn't mean that we allow others to mistreat us or take advantage of us. It does not mean that you're a rug that people can walk all over. That's called abuse. And there are other verses in the Bible that address that. And sometimes it takes wisdom to know when to, when to fight and when not to. But it's, it's not about that, letting anybody walk all over you. And third, it's not weakness and that's, I think, what we think it is. Well, submission—you know—that's a weak person. That's how I've thought of it over the years. Oh, you're submissive. You know, kind of a weak person. Another biblical concept that's close to this one that demonstrates the strength involved is the word meekness. The Greek word for meekness meant strength under control. It, it was a word that was used to, to talk about taming a wild horse scholar by the name of Dr. Meyer explains, such animals have not lost their strength but have learned to control the destructive instincts that prevent them from living in harmony with others. As long as that horse is just wild and untamed and doing whatever it wants, it's not going to get along with the other horses or humans. But meekness is this strength under control. But it's not about superior, inferior. It's not about being a doormat. It's not about weakness. It's actually strength. Like Jesus, as he stood before Pilate and was silent. So what does it mean? Well, let me give you some words that help describe it. Submit just means to yield. Probably most of the time, that's it. It means you don't have to get your own way. That you could yield to the other person, that you let that other person have their way. Any of you that are married know that this is a secret to a good marriage, right? The ability to yield. If you can't yield, you can't get along. You know, regardless of this whole subject of how submission is fleshed out in the relationship, husbands and wives both have to learn how to get along with someone that's going to disagree with them sometimes. We all have to have the ability to yield. And frankly, some of us don't seem to have that ability. Our perspective, it's my way. It's always my way. My way or the highway. But it means to yield. Another definition, it means to place yourself under. It was used of an army that would arrange themselves under a commander. It's used this way, by the way, in relation to the church, where in Hebrews we read, submit to your church authorities because they care for you and don't make it hard for them. But arrange yourself under so that you can move together as an army forward. And then it means to to give preference to another person. Maybe you want something, maybe your spouse wants something else or in just regular relationships, just give the preference to the other person, which again, I think is sometimes hard to do. But this impacts, again, all relationships. Employers, for example, are looking for people that have a, a submissive attitude. They'll never say it. But over the years, I was in three different positions where I was a supervisor over other people, and I hired people, and that was something I looked for. Are you the kind of person that can listen to what your boss says, and are you the kind of person that can get along with other people? And that's where submission comes in. Now, our ability to do this is related to our theology about the sovereignty of God, See, we believe that God is sovereign. We believe that God is able to, to come and bless us if we do what God asks us to do, that he, he will step in. We believe Jesus' words when he said, blessed are the meek because they'll inherit the kingdom. They'll inherit the earth. The earth belongs to the meek. That seems opposite of what you'd expect. You'd think someone that's not meek would take control of the earth. God says, no, no, it's, it's the meek because God fights those battles. Now, we're going to get into this section related to husbands and wives here in a minute, but before Paul dealt with that, he talked about being filled with the Spirit, being controlled. You know, if we're Christians, we're to be under the control of God's Holy Spirit, and he mentions three things that will be true if you're under the control of God's Holy Spirit. I'm going to read the verses, see if you can identify what they are. Ephesians 5, 18 to 21, and this bumps right into the section on husbands and wives. He says, be filled with the, by the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music from your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, <clears throat> submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. There are three things that he mentions here. One is that our hearts will be filled with with singing and joyfulness. If 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 the Holy Spirit is really reigning in our hearts as Christians, joy will result. You know, the fruit of the Spirit is love and then joy. And that's one of the characteristics. If you're filled up with joy, you know that you're being filled with the Holy Spirit. Second, our relationship with God will reflect thankfulness. We'll be thankful people, not bitter, angry people. We'll be thankful people. Then third, he says that our relationships would be characterized by submissiveness. Or another way maybe I would translate it or talk about submission is a sweet reasonableness. You know, do people view you as someone who's reasonable? Someone that can be reasoned with? Someone who's open to other thoughts and opinions and everything else? Now, I think this could be a secret to a lot of relationships but today, again, we're talking about modeling our marriage after Christ and the church. That's the picture that when you think, what is my marriage supposed to look like? That's the picture that God has given us. Now, we're going to read the verses. And I want to mention one last thing before I do. I am the messenger. I didn't write this. <laughs> I didn't write this. It's just, this is, you have to decide if this is the word of God or not. Although I will say this, that as I read the Bible, both the Old and New Testaments, when we reject the Word of God, we reject the God of the Word. That's how God put it many times. When God sent a prophet or someone like Moses to communicate a message that was His Word and people rejected it, God's response was, They're not rejecting you. You know, don't take it personally, they've rejected me. And I think we need to evaluate this. You know, do I believe this is the word of God? And this, again, is something I wrestle with when I come across a passage like this. Do I really believe this is the word of God? Beginning in verse 21, submit to one another in the fear of Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands, as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. He's the savior of the body. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Let me stop for a moment, but that is so true. If you do not love your wife, you don't love yourself because the two of you are one. How you treat your spouse comes back to you, it's like a boomerang. And so you think, why? You know, I hit my wife's foot with that hammer with whatever I said or did. No, no, you hit yourself. You know, if if you don't love your wife, you don't love yourself either. Verse 29 No one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it just as Christ does the church since we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. That's a quote out of Genesis. This mystery is profound, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. To sum up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. Now, do you see it in there, the takeaway? Model your marriage after Christ and the church. Within this illustration, the husband is supposed to be like Jesus The wife is supposed to be like the church. So what does that practically mean? Well, let's talk to husbands first. And I think it means two things if you're a husband in terms of your wife. First point is found in Ephesians 5.25, so let's read the verse again, and then I'll make the point. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. He gave himself for her. What does it mean? A husband is to lay down his life for his wife. A husband is to sacrifice himself for his wife. A husband is to serve his wife. It's not the other way around. For much of my marriage, I, got this, I really got this wrong. I kind of thought, well, the, this model, the way it's set up, my wife is supposed to be kind of serving my needs. But then I read this and it says, no, I'm to lay down my life for my wife. I'm to sacrifice myself for her. I'm to be concerned about her needs and, and, and what's weighing her down. And we're to be like Jesus. What did Jesus do? Well, in Mark 10, 45, it says, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And then we find examples after examples of Jesus serving his disciples, providing for them, I think, on the night in which he was betrayed, that he knelt down and he washed the feet of his disciples. In Jesus' day, that was a very, very humiliating job. It was humiliating. It takes real humility. It takes a real submissive spirit to serve like Jesus did on that night. Jesus modeled this. And again, this is supposed to be in all of our relationships as Christians. This This should be a defining thought. In Philippians 2, 5 through 7. Paul wrote, make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus who existed in the form of God but did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of man. The word slave there in the original Greek language in which this was written means slave. It was the worst kind of slave. That was the mindset of Christ who was God, He he could have come down here and said, you know, all of you are just going to serve me, and one day we will, of course. It's remarkable, though. He was was the very essence of God, but he said, I'm not going to use this position I have, my authority. I'm going to set aside my rights, my privileges, and everything I have to give myself fully for the people of this earth. And he is the model for husbands, sacrificing. I can't think of any wife that wouldn't adore a guy that did this. And I wish I did it more. I do it some. You know, I was trying to think, in what ways do I, I, I do this? And it's not as much as it should be. I think, I think some decisions in the past, again, I think were based on what's best for me. But more and more, I've been thinking this way, you know? Little things like every morning, I get my wife her cup of coffee. Are you ready for your coffee yet? Every day. Unless she beats me to it, which isn't often. I usually try to get down there. I'm getting my coffee. Are you ready for your coffee? But when we go to our cabin, if you ask my wife about this, she'll tell you this when we go to the cabin where I go. I'm usually there ahead of her. I'm able to come usually the night before. And so I do the grocery shopping, and I, I'm the one that um, cooks the meals, actually. And I clean up the dishes. Because when, when we're at that cabin... I'm just kind of viewing that I'm to be serving her. This is not the model, I think, that we think of when we think of submission and husbands and wives and roles and things like that. Husbands, though, are to have this serving attitude. But there's a second thing that husbands are supposed to be about when it comes to their role of having a a submissiveness in the marriage, and that is a husband is to provide for his wife's spiritual, physical, and emotional needs. He's to serve his wife by providing for these three needs. And all three of those things were mentioned in the section we just read. So let me read it again and just make a few comments. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or anything like that but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. Then he who loves his wife loves himself here. Do you see what he's talking about here? He's talking about the fact that when Jesus came to the earth, the reason he came was to make his bride. See, the church in the New Testament is called the Bride of Christ. He came to make us holy. The image that I have in my mind is a bride wearing a beautiful wedding dress, a gorgeous wedding dress. And he comes down, he says, I want to apply, it says, he talks about the water of the word, cleansing with the washing of the water of the word. You get the image there. It's talking about how the word of God has a cleansing effect on your marriage. He's talking about husbands showing spiritual leadership in the home to say, I want to present my wife and my family holy and blameless, like a beautiful bride And you do it through the washing of water of the word. You apply God's word because God's word has a cleansing effect on our lives. And so it's spiritual leadership. But then in verse 29, he adds two other things. No one ever hated his own flesh. But, and then two things, provides and number two, cares for it just as Christ does the church. Christ is our model. Christ provides for the church and he cares for the church. Now, I think it's from this verse that people get this old traditional idea that the husband's to be the provider in the home. Because I think this is talking about providing for the physical needs in the family. It doesn't mean that he's to be the sole provider, but he needs to make sure the needs are provided for. And if it's not happening in the household, I believe that he's the one that needs to do something about it. He's to provide for his wife. Isn't that the example? Just as Jesus provides, gives us what we need as a church. That's what husband's supposed to do. But also it says cares here. And this is the idea of cherishes, values. This has to do with giving to your wife emotionally, that she feels loved and she feels cherished. And, and it's that, that kind of thing that she fe- feels cared for, which often is not the case. I read about these two ladies that were talking and the one asked the other about what, how marriage was. And, and the woman says, well, my, my husband is the most caring person I know. He cares about the cubs and the bears And the Hawks and every other stupid sports team out there. And often that's kind of what it is. And so husbands are to lay down their lives for their wives and care about and provide for, make sure that these needs are being taken care of spiritually, physically, and emotional needs in the house. So let's talk about the women for a moment here. And this is where the verses get a little bit um, culturally tough. Although, I've I've often thought you can't take the the husband part and preach it without the wife part too. You can't have one without the other. And they're meant to go hand in hand. If a husband is this kind of man, it's going to make it so the wife's going to want to be what God says she's supposed to be. So let's read the verses again. Wives, submit to your own husband as to the Lord. And that phrase, as to the Lord, means as a way of serving the Lord. It's not talking about serving your husband. It's saying, wives, submit to your husbands as a way of serving Christ. For, and this is the reason why, the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. He's the savior of the body. Now, as the church submits to Christ... So wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. And then in verse 33, to sum up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. So the wife's main takeaway is this. A wife should respect her husband's leadership in the home. Now, <clears throat> I realize, again, this might seem crazy with our culture. I realize, too, that a lot of people have abused and misused this, and the church has been one of the biggest culprits. You know, Make sure your wife submits to you and things like that. It it hasn't been a biblical model. Husband, you worry. By the way, you shouldn't worry about what your spouse is in relation to this. I hope you're not thinking of your spouse and elbowing him or her. These are directed to you personally. My job is not to make sure my wife follows these verses. My job is to make sure I'm loving her as Christ loved the church. That's my main responsibility. And hers is to follow what these verses say. Now, I want us to understand that the reason it says that the husband is to be respected in this way is that he's called the head of, of the body or the head of the home, just like Christ is the head of the church. <clears throat> that is the basis for this. It is not based on who in the relationship is the smartest or most, ta- most talented or, or gifted or who's the better leader. In my home, my, my wife uh, she's smarter than I am. I'm not, I'm not just saying that. She was the valedictorian of her class in high school and I graduated. <clears throat> I mean, I was on National honor Society, I wasn't, but, but it's still, she's the valedictorian. She is smarter than I am and it amazes me. We'll be playing like Trivial Pursuit. She won't know the answer, but she'll figure it out and she'll blurt out Kenya. It's like, she's right. <laughs> it's Kenya. How'd you get there? She's just, she has better intuition than I do. I have learned that when she says something's not right about that person or this situation, when she has that intuition, she's right. And a lot of you women probably could nod your heads because you got the same amazing gift. A <clears throat> little scary. But she's got a tremendous intuition here. She's more musical than I am. And honestly, she's a better leader than I am. I think my wife is more gifted in areas of leadership than I am but this is talking about God's design within the marriage and this is what's hard for people but I think this goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden because Paul keeps going back to that when he talks about these subjects he talks about don't you see how God did it back in Genesis or whatever think for a moment of the Garden of Eden when God created Adam and Eve he created Adam first why? why? See, he could have created them at the same time and said, fight it out. I mean, that's what he could have done. He says, Adam, Eve, go at it. Figure out which one, you know, whatever. No, Adam was first. I don't know how long he was first, the only one. He was naming the animals and this and that. <clears throat> at a certain point, God gave him his wife. Eve comes along. She's formed from the rib of Adam. And by the way, many have made that point that She was from the rib, side by side, which is a great analogy there. And it speaks to the equality there, which I believe within the home there's to be equality in terms of value and worth and everything else. But when Eve came around, Adam said, your name is Eve. Now you think of the authority, the presumption, like what if I don't like the name Eve? I want to be called something else. Well, I imagine they would have talked about it, and I I would trust that any good husband would listen to the wife and say, well, let's come up with another name. But he felt the authority to do that. I'm just saying that Adam was the priest in his home. He was the one that told Eve, don't eat from the tree in the garden. There's no evidence that God ever personally instructed Eve on any of these things. God spoke those to Adam, and Adam became kind of the head of his household. You say, well, why does that matter? It's setting up order for the whole world, for all of society. If the husband and wife get along properly and review view each other properly and Eve respects her husband, <clears throat> excuse me, what would happen is that the children then, as they come into this equation, they learn obedience and they say, yeah, we should be submitting to our parents. And then eventually there are many families and eventually you have a society and people learn <clears throat> we need to submit to the authorities in our society. And then eventually we learn that we need to submit to the ultimate authority who is God. See, people that don't get the authority thing right don't respond to God properly. It's very important we learn these things in our life so that we respect Him as the Lord of all and submit ourselves to Him. But this was God's order. Now, this doesn't mean that the Adam was to make all the decisions. It doesn't mean that Eve couldn't challenge things. I'm sure they had discussions and disagreements. <clears throat> certainly doesn't mean that Adam was supposed to get his own way all the time. In fact, biblically, I think you'd let her most of the time. And it certainly doesn't give any permission to abuse the wife. But it is about her responding to him and yielding. And submission is something, like in my household, it's it's like a non-issue. I don't ever have to use that word. I don't have to bring it up. But we have to learn how to yield. A woman came to me once and she said, I submit to my husband unless I disagree with him. And I almost started laughing. I thought, you just told me you never submit. That's what you just said. Because if you only submit when you agree, submission's not necessary. There's no submission involved there. It's only when there's a disagreement. Suddenly you have to wrestle through it and look at what it's like. Which brings me to a question that I think husbands need to ask and wives need to ask when there's a problem, a disagreement in the marriage. This is how I think you resolve based on what we've talked about here. The husband should ask himself this question. If I love this woman, what should I do? What will I do? When you have an argument with your wife, You ask yourself this question, well, if I really loved her as Jesus loved the church, if I really cared for her and her needs, what should I do in this situation? And I guarantee you, maybe most, almost all the time, it'll be, I want to listen to you because I'm serving you. The wife will ask herself the question, what should I do if I respect my husband and view him properly? Now, you might be thinking, well, my husband's not worthy of respect. That's not the basis of the respect. It's not based on whether he's worthy or not. It's based on this role that God has designed, God's pattern here. I know for sure, though, the wives need to feel loved. I know that husbands need to feel respected. And when both of those things are happening, it makes for a really good marriage. So model your marriage after Christ in the church. Let me close with an illustration. And a couple practical statements here. When I think of this whole subject, the image that comes to my mind is of a husband and wife driving someplace in the car. Based on this Ephesians 6 example, the husband is the one that's actually got the steering wheel, and so he's driving along. But the wife is in the front seat. They're driving together. They're headed in the same direction, hopefully. And that's kind of the picture here. Now, sometimes husbands drive in a way that freaks out the wife. She's over there in the passenger seat going after that imaginary break. <laughs> it's not going to work. <clears throat> and she's scared to death because of the way the husband is driving. Now, I'm talking about marriage, not just driving, although it applies to driving too. Because, see, when I'm driving, I drive differently if my wife is with me. It's, it's just the truth. When she's not with me, I dive out there. I, I kind of go for it, you know. But a lot of husbands are driving in such a way that the wives are saying, slow down, you're tailgating, stop speeding, you're making me nervous. That's not love. That's why at a certain point I thought when, when my wife is with me, I'm driving for her, I'm not driving for me. Now, what happens sometimes is the wife wants to reach over and grab the string wheel. I'm taking over now. That's not the answer either. But we've got to learn to submit to one another, the husband in the form primarily of serving his wife and the wife primarily in the form of respecting her husband. Now, let me close with a couple thoughts here. One is that some of you may be struggling with your marriage, and I encourage you to invest in your marriage by getting counseling if needed. And we have here at the church, even though we don't have a counselor on staff, we have a list of counselors in the area. I encourage you to invest in that. Develop your relationship because really the marriage is supposed to be even a picture of Christ in the church. So that people will look at our marriage and say, oh, that's what it's like to be a Christian in the church. Second, I encourage you to spend time together, date nights, praying together, whatever it would be. My wife and I have a weekly date night, although lately we've been just going to the cabin more often, just spending time together. That's so important to all relationships. And then finally, I want to encourage you to consider getting involved with a community group of some kind <clears throat> with other couples, because it's, it's hard to do this whole marriage thing alone. We really need other people in our lives that will help us. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you did not leave us on our own when it comes to... Just this whole subject of marriage. I realize that uh, we may struggle with some of the things we've talked about here today. I ask you for your grace, though, to be able to apply these things, not just to our marriages, but to our relationships in general. We really want to have a sweet reasonableness about us that's attractive to people. We really want to have a heart that says, it's not about my will, but I want to serve you. We want to really be like Jesus who laid down his life. So help us with this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. That concludes our time this morning. If you're married, have fun discussing this talk. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. If you'd like to hear more messages now, you can check out our past series at theridge.church slash messages or download the free Ridge app. Thanks again for listening and we will see you next time.